got through the whole thing without talking about Doc Manhattan's blue hanging brain. Very proud. Who watches The Ethicists? Welcome, friends. Today we are talking about who watches The Watchmen, the movie, and some of the comic book, and the ethical questions therein. My name is Matthew, and this is Superhero Ethics. And of course, I'm joined, as always, by my ho- by my co-host, Jacob. Jacob, how are you doing tonight? I am very excited to talk about this really friendly PG-rated uh, <laughs> animated series that appeared on Saturday mornings. It's just oh, a bunch God. of goofy nope. heroes. Stop, stop. <laughs> yeah, I was, we will put that in the show notes for those who want to torture themselves of a... Um, uh, a cartoon version of a – it's like an ad for a Saturday morning cartoon version of The Watchmen in which Rorschach is great with animals and Dr. Manhattan has a bedtime. Um, so – but today we're perhaps going to focus on a little bit more mundane version of The Watchmen story. Uh, we're focusing today on the movie and a little bit on the comic book. Um, my wanting us to do the uh, – Jacob and I have been talking about this doing mo- this movie for a long – this project for a long time in part because it's completely in our wheelhouse. The entire – book movie idea is to ask ethical questions about the very concept of superheroes and justice and vigilantism and revenge and how they all play into each other. Um, and we've sort of always had it on the back burner. And then recently, um, because um, another podcast in this podcast network that we're a part of um, uh, is specifically on the TV show, The Watchmen, uh, that got me to watch the TV show and it made me realize just how much there is to, uh, to dig into here. So, Probably in another episode sometime soon, um, friend of the podcast, Matt Carroll, will be joining me for a discussion of the TV show, but today we're focusing on the movie and the comic book. So with that, let's kind of giant, jump into the general topic. Um, Jacob, just kind of starting out, what are your general thoughts on uh, this movie and this, uh, and this comic book? What, what's your kind of general thoughts on this story? So the first time I was exposed to this story was as the graphic novel when I was um, in my, I want to say, early 20s. Um, And I thought it was the coolest thing ever, uh, because at the time, I hadn't seen very many superhero stories where the superheroes were quite so broken and not particularly heroic and did things that I didn't agree with. Um, And so I like I was instantly hooked. Uh, It shouldn't shock anybody that like you give me a a superhero story where people are doing ethically challenging things all the time and suddenly I'm more interested. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of why we're doing this, right? This is the, like we, we find things to him and haw about in stuff that we're ostensibly supposed to be behind the heroes a hundred percent. And here these are presented um, for us within the, the movie, within the media uh, as we're, we're intended to see them as challenging, right? We're intended to, yeah. to question the actions of the comedian or of Night Owl or of um, uh, Rorschach uh, because no individual person is necessarily acting in a a Superman-esque way, right? Right. There's there's no Captain Americas here. I mean, to, to my mind, the Punisher would be kind of on the good side of things when it comes to the uh, the Watchmen. The Punisher um, is like an ethical comedian, which is yeah. a wild statement. Well, I think for me, um, I really do love this movie. And every time I watch it, it troubles me. And that's part of why I love it. And I think because of it, and we're going to talk more about this in general, I don't see anyone in this movie who I can call remotely heroic. 
Some of them take heroic actions in particular situations, but kind of the main conflict of the movie is this plot by one of them, Ozymandias, who um, I think we could qualify him in the like super villains who might have had a point um, and we'll debate whether his actions were right. But certainly our heroes find out what he did. It's too late to stop him. And then they don't really do much about it. And the one who tries to gets destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's like I'm searching my head now and I think there's one or two times where like a fight gets broken up or an attack gets stopped. But do we actually see any of these characters on screen take a truly heroic act? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> well, Not to kind of start us off easy, but... It's been a long time since I've seen the movie or read the graphic novel. Like, my gut instinct is no, because I can't, like, there's not a, a thing that stands out to me. And I go, oh, yeah, this one time. Um, like, generally speaking, we end up seeing them doing. <sighs> yeah, not not really. Even when they're, you know, ostensibly going after bad guys or in some cases being, uh, you know an arm of the state or the military, it's not in a good light. Right. Um, I guess you could make the argument that some of the stuff Doc Manhattan does for the advancement of of technology and of of things like medicine, that's generally good. Um, right. The problem is the character of Doc Manhattan himself has become separated from humanity, right? So it's like, right. yeah. And even that, that's being an awesome scientist and right. like researcher, but that's not... It's not like a superhero in the kind of way we talk about, you know? Right. And I mean, um, the narrative would have us believe that what Ozymandias does is ostensibly heroic because what it does is it advances a cause that every hero wants, which is world peace, right? Right. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a very ends means discussion, right? Yeah. And we'll get into that. I, and I will use this as a time to say, like, kind of one of my general thoughts about the movie itself. Um, and I say this, for the most part, I'm going to avoid spoilers about the TV show. But I'll say one thing I really liked about the TV show is it takes the questions of the Watchmen and puts it in the modern day and kind of translates it into modern day issues. Um, and I'm a big fan of things that do that. Like, one of my favorite examples is V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. V for Vendetta was very significantly written during the the Thatcher administration about the problems that the the British government and society was dealing with under Thatcher. By the time they make the movies, it's 15 years later, and they make a conscious effort to sort of update the villains and update the situation. Um, So much of this movie is predicated on the idea of the book, the, the book and the movie is... The Cold War is this incredibly intractable conflict that will almost assuredly lead to world destruction. And so that raises the question of, are Ozymandias' actions justifiable? Um, But by the time the movie was made, the Cold War was over. I mean, by the time the graphic novel was made, the Cold War was over. It's a period piece. I thought it was written. I thought it was written in the '80s themselves, or at least in the early '90s. Okay, well, in some ways that makes it even worse. But then I can't blame the movie necessarily. But I feel like to ask us, you know, if you were to make it today and say, like, will the conflict with, you know, name whatever boogeyman you want to name of our modern day be ever solved? Like, sure. But when the whole thing is set up as 
what crazy ethical extremes can we go to to prevent the Holocaust of the Cold War with the idea that like the Cold War Holocaust would be inevitable when we've all lived through the Cold War and know that it's not? Right. I, I guess it to me that I have a yeah I, I have a correction. Sorry, uh, you are correct. Uh, it, okay. It first appeared in 1985. Cold War uh, historians seem to somewhat consensus say that it ended in 91. Right. Um, although, like it, it's not a real th- whatever. Like, it's, yeah. That's... I mean, eight, 85 though was definitely the height of Reagan putting incredible yep. pressure on the Soviets and and people thinking World War Three was a distinct possibility. Right. Um, Anyway, so that's it's not really an ethical question, but it it I think it speaks somewhat to the questions of being true to your source material versus updating your source material for the times. I mean, I, think... I always felt like on some level it I never felt the existential dread of the millennium of the of the midnight clock because I knew how the story ends in our own world. Right. I, I think I think it is actually an ethical question uh, because if you're gonna take a story, if you're if you're gonna take an existing story and you're going to present it to a modern audience. Uh, I feel like, and they did this somewhat because they changed what the, they changed a portion of Ozymandias' plan so that it would play better to a larger audience. If you're already going to change the narrative, I think that it makes more sense to make it, make the conflict, make, make something that the people who are watching it now can connect to so that it has the same impact of the original media. Yeah. Right? Like, I think I think it's sort of... Uh, and and I don't, I'm not saying this is, like, a criticism of the people who made the movie, but, like, it's it doesn't have the same effect if you're not taking the Cold War as something... and World War III as, as a realistic possibility. Um, yeah. It doesn't have the same bite. And so the narrative doesn't make as much sense. And all of these, like, honestly, a lot of the characters make less sense if you don't have, if you don't understand what it's trying to evoke. Yeah. And it's interesting because I'm curious about this. um, Because actually, I I would be, I am critical of the movie makers because I think it makes a less good, uh, a movie that's not as good as it could have been. And I will say the sec, I rewatched the movie recently in preparation for this. And I was able to kind of more suspend my disbelief and in that world say, if we live in a world that's on the brink of World War Three, does that make Ozymandias' decisions more ethically okay? Uh, or at least understandable. Mm-hmm. Because I think well, the first time I watched it, that was my thought was Ozymandias is acting as though he has to act or else there's no way to preserve the peace. And my reaction is, but we didn't need you, dude. Like, calm down. <laughs> um, and it does make me think, and I'd be curious to people who, um, for this applies to, you know, we now have a generation of people who have grown up after the Cold War ended who are watching this movie. Um, and I would be curious for someone of that perspective, like if you did not live through the Cold War in the slightest, I imagine it maybe it is more engaging because you didn't live through the Cold War, but therefore you also didn't live through it ending. So the idea of this existential, I, I don't know, maybe the existential dread is even less for you or maybe it makes more sense. But if you're a, a younger generation like that, I'd love for you to write in and, and talk to us about it. Yeah, it's something that uh, I I can't imagine it has the same impact if you didn't experience it. But I I can't don't know for sure because I was I was young during the latter portion of it, but I did exist in the world, right. um, and I was aware of the concerns and the fear. Um, 
at a at a younger age, right? Um, and so when I watched the when I watched this when I when I read and then later watched as an adult, you know, I got some of that. I got some of the connection. Um, and I do think that it it makes a difference, and it it makes actions that seem completely unconscionable and unreasonable seem plausible if not something that we agree with right what uh what uh, do you have any other general thoughts on the movie before we dive into some specific questions Um, i have one more but i'll give you a chance first i know that a lot of people uh when the movie came out uh there, there were some criticisms levied against it that were broadly like this is actually just directly the way the source material did it too um about the visuals, about how none of the characters were, um, it's the way I want to put it. You couldn't connect with any of the characters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I th- like personally for, for me, that is on purpose. And I feel like if you can connect with one of the characters and you can empathize with them, you're, you're probably not in the best place in your life. And, and I, I'm sorry for that, but I really hope that nobody is, uh, for very long, feeling like one of the Watchmen, um, yeah. in their life because these are these are individuals who they what they've experienced and what they've gone through has put them into this sort of fugue state where they're taking act like taking the best worst action rather than taking the best actions. Right. Well, I, I I would push back on that a little because I do think a lot of these characters are. I mean, I think all none of them, as I think, are heroes. I think all of them are deeply problematic people. You know, some more than others, obviously. Like the comedian, I think, being pretty low on the list, and and Ozymandias being. Well, there, there's a whole other interesting question of like, you know, the comedian is just flat out an asshole, whereas Ozymandias is trying to do good, but does in his own way far more damage than the comedian. So that's that's a whole other ethical question of which one of those is worse. But certainly there's not many that I see as very good. But I do feel like the the problems that they're wrestling with is um, they are problems that many of us can relate to, even if it's not on that kind of scale. You know, I mean, I think everyone has sort of wondered, like, you know, what eggs can I break to try and do some good in the world? Or, you know, kind of the questions that Dr. Manhattan or even like the owl guy goes through of, you know, when do I stand back or when do I step up when my friends are doing shitty things? Um, the owl guy. His name yeah, is yeah. Night Owl. Okay, yeah. I, I think he's, I hate... I, I understand. He's not a particularly compelling character sometimes, but he's a well, person. He has a name. And when we get there, like, honestly, I think his character is the one I like the least. Um, I agree. But that's a whole other story. Um, I will just say... and. This is a topic that's been commented on at great length in the past, and I'm not going to go too far into, but I will just say that the treatment of women in this movie, as I understand in the book, is pretty horrid. Uh-huh. Um, um, and that is something that least. is distinctly fixed in the TV show, as is the tre- treatment of race. Um, but it's um, – I think a number of people have commented on that. You and I are probably not the best position to comment on it, although we certainly can can raise it, and I'm sure we will comment on it somewhat, but I – I kind of want to put a mark in that of like, yes, that is one major problem with this movie. And there's a lot of great people who've written a lot of great stuff on it that I very much recommend people check out. I I feel like when I read it, when I read the graphic novel, I got the impression that it was like intentionally treating women poorly. Um, And like looking back on it, I like 
it, that's not the way to do it, even if you're going to try to do something like that to make a point. Yeah. Uh, and it, like, the movie just did not do anything to sort of cor- course correct on that, that I can recall. It's in, it, it is very much on my mind now because of another property I just saw, which no spoilers for, but um, Birds of Prey is something that I think we'll be talking about at some point on this show, possibly with you, possibly with a, a, another guest, because it's a, one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen, or these comic book movies. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, my my partner and I know a number of other uh, women I know have commented that its own way it might be the, the most feminist that they've seen and certainly the most girl power that they've seen. And the only thing that's relevant to this specifically is the movie makes a very conscious choice that when women are being treated badly, it lets you know that that's happening, but it doesn't, like, make the trauma entertaining. Right. Um, And that's, I think, something distinctly, you know, and again, it's not that Watchmen is much worse than most other movies of the time. But when there's an act of sexual violence happening, that it, it happens in a very graphic way, in a way that's shot to be, you know, um, almost in that kind of like enticing of like erotic violence kind yeah, of nonsense. It's, it's exploitative and it's it's eroticized, I think, is yeah. is an accurate statement. It's gross. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Um, especially given the utter lack of any erotic energy in the actual coupling that happens between um, <laughs> well, Owl Man also... and Spectre, but that's, you know, my my own thing. It felt um, realistic, at least. Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah is not an erotic sexual love song. I mean, okay, maybe some people can tell me it's wrong, but, like, it just, it felt like such the wrong song for a, love, a sex scene. Anyway, my editorial comments aside, let's get back to ethics questions. Uh, as I'm sure 8 million people will tell me that that's their favorite song, uh, erotically. Erotically? Um, I, I, I'm just saying, like, this is the internet, you know? If sure Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah is, that, is the do. song that does it for you, God okay. bless you, yeah. I still think it's weird in a movie. Yeah, I'm not going to uh, yuck anybody's yum, I guess. So. Yeah. Um, you, you know, or their not. kink is not my kink, and their kink right. is weird. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> Wait, uh, that doesn't sound like you. Getting back to the actual topic, now that we've lost any hope of uh, parents letting their kids listen to this. Um, oh, yeah, that's definitely happening. Uh, let's let's start with the what I think is kind of the um, – there's probably three or four major ethical questions that this show raises, that this movie raises in the book. But one of them is just the very question of mass vigilantes themselves. You know, it's – the whole premise of it is on one level that, um, you know, who watches the Watchmen, that what happens when – um, the society comes to believe that the these people actually aren't helpful, and that uh, masks, you know, masked vigilantes are made illegal. Um, what what's your take on 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 this movie's perspective on that, and the, and the, what how it frames that question in general? I mean, what's funny is that I I watched, I read the graphic novel again when I did, and then I watched this movie put out by uh, Disney Pixar called The Incredibles. And yeah. then I saw the Watchmen movie, and I went like, wait a minute. This is the <laughs> same story. It's just that um, the way it's painted is different, right? Yeah. It's the same, like, I think I really appreciated uh, the first time I was exposed to this idea that maybe the public wouldn't be super hot on a bunch of people wearing masks and capes and going around enacting what they felt was justice. Um, that, hey, maybe they wouldn't be okay with that and there'd be, like, laws and and you'd either have to enlist uh, 
and be a servant of the government or you're not allowed to do that right right um and that citizens generally would be against it uh honestly if i lived in this world and these were the heroes i was presented with i would be against it too Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah i mean i it's funny because i feel like the movie wants us to feel like some great injustice has been done to you know owl man and and his friends but i'm just gonna keep calling (laughs) calling him owl man (laughs) night owl is that night owl yeah he's Um, a he's a song by little river band sing it with me (laughs) he's also the the diner where the people were killed in in la confidential um but sure uh night owl um but when i look at them like on the one hand i feel like the movie doesn't actually tell us what was the thing that happened that made people suddenly turn on the masked heroes except that i would totally turn on the heroes in this movie like they went and like the historical events they showed us where these people were doing things and you were like uh i don't want this person in charge of determining who gets incarcerated and who doesn't like the minutemen are shown as being fairly heroic in some cool ways and um and that i get even though also obviously problematic, but by the mm-hmm. time you get to, um, you know, the Watchmen, we have someone going and basically being a human napalm machine and ending the Vietnam War under incredibly problematic circumstances. Mm-hmm. Another person who, you know, basically, you know, mows down Vietnamese citizens in horrific ways and, um, you know, kills innocent protesters, both in Vietnam and the States. Um I guess Night Owl was supposed to do some heroic things flying around, but all we sort of see is him like standing by and shrugging as the comedian does terrible things. Um, he was ostensibly supposed to be like the moral compass slash Batman <laughs> type character. Wow, um, he's bad at that. Yeah, ba- basically the the Watchmen uh, narrative is well, what if Batman were effectively completely impotent and nobody listened to him? Uh, and mm. while we're at it, let's make him literally impotent in the narrative because we're not subtle at all. Right. Um, like, that's that's his character. Silk um, Spectre seems to have no real character except to be um, kind of sad at Dr. Manhattan and then sleep with Dan instead. Um, but yeah, yeah. that uh, over- whole thing is upsetting for many reasons. But like overall, I feel like um, – and may- maybe this is – if this is the point of the story, then I, I, I think it's a good one is I think part of what it's saying is that like just because a person puts on a mask does not mean that they stop having all the human foibles that any other person would have. And right. that in some ways it's really dangerous to put on a mask because you could get someone like the comedian who has this, you know, incredibly inflated sense of entitlement and of, you know, personal worth. And that if, you know, someone – you know, doesn't treat him like the the hero that he thinks he is. He's just going to shoot him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, kind of, what, what's your? I feel like we sort of ask the ethical question of masked vigilantes, good or bad, all the time on this show. Yep. What's What's your take on sort of this story's you know twist on that that question? I mean, I think that the, like this particular story. As you said, it, it tries to paint it as a, well, they're good, but now these people have been handcuffed and, and you should feel sorry for them. And yet I come out of it thinking more than ever, no, this is bad. We would never want this in the real world. Right. Um, and because at the end of, I almost said the catchphrase, 
uh, because those people, they're still people, right? And right. it's it's challenging to have one person have that much power without any oversight. And that's right. another theme that we've talked about uh, ad nauseum on, on this show, is the idea that any institution of, of ostensibly masked superheroes, masked vigilantes, without any kind of oversight, is no better than what we have now for... Uh, in terms of of making sure that justice is done or making sure that bad people are stopped from doing their bad things and right. good people are helped. I mean, Ozymandias is, I think, the perfect example of that because the decision that he makes is 100% unilateral. Yep. You know, it's the, um, you know, there, there's so much great stuff in psychology about, like, the way to help people best is to help them, you know, is, is to let, is to help them help themselves. Yep. And what Ozymandias is, I mean, he's sort of the ultimate helicopter parent for the entire world. Yep. Um, and we'll, we'll get more into him in general. And he goes, you know, he, he basically comes in and says, I'm so smart. I figured this out. I figured out a way to make everyone do the right thing. And then he enacts the plan. And yeah. there's no, it's too late. No one got to question him on it. No one, he, he didn't bounce the idea off anybody. He's like, no, I'm smart and I'm right. And this is what I'm going to do. And in any other story, that would be that would be our supervillain, right? Yeah. And technically speaking, in this story, that's our supervillain, except that our heroes are bad at their jobs <laughs> uh, and don't stop him. So let's let's hold that in mind and then use that to start looking into some of the other specific questions that uh, some of the specific characters. Um, and I want to start with the two who, in some ways, I feel like they're all. It, it's interesting because it kind of gets back to the question we were talking about on a, on a recent episode of. Who is more evil, the person who's doing evil or the person who kind of stands by and watches and doesn't use their power to stop them? The, um, you know, Mitch McConnell versus Lisa Murkowski kind of a question. Right. Because um, I think in many ways that Dan and to some extent Dr. Manhattan are the characters in this in this story that I find the most morally repugnant because, you know, to me, the scene that really embodies this, but it's true of Dan kind of throughout the whole movie, throughout the whole story, is it's showing you the night that the um, the ban on superheroes was either first done or was about to be done. There's a big crowd of people who are about to, um, you know, who are protesting against the heroes and saying that heroes are bad. And one of them throws, um, it's like a rock or a Molotov cocktail at the the big flying owl. Um, Archie, I think it's called, or mm. Arthur, or something like that. Um, sure, I think it's Archie. The bunker mobile. Yeah. Um, but it's um, and and all of a sudden the comedian sort of jumps down and is like, "All right, screw this! I'm going to start mowing people down." And Dan kind of just rolls his eyes and goes like, "Come on, you know that's that that's why they don't like us. You got to stop." <laughs> but it's in that sort of like. Oh, honey, did you leave the dishes out again? Yep. Like, he doesn't in any way... He's in a flying owl. Like, the thing has weapons. The thing has abilities. He doesn't in any way try to stop the comedian. He doesn't in any way rush out to try and help the people he just shot. He just kind of shrugs his shoulders and goes, you know, aw, shucks, buddy. You shouldn't do that. That's not right. In, um, Yeah. Go ahead. In, in many ways, both Night Owl and Doc Manhattan are... They both have the same problem, um, and it's a problem that exists in other superhero media, but it never gets called out as a problem, where our heroes don't 
identify themselves as the same as you or I, right? And so for him in that moment, it's like, it's almost like he's going, well, these, you know, the, the, the people who are protesting down below are, God, like they're not worth it. Yeah. almost for him and it's like god that's terrible like that's that's your job right that's the thing that you claimed you wanted to do was stop these kinds of things from happening and here's one of your allies going and doing one of these things and you do nothing um, yeah, Doc Manhattan I, at least is literally not human anymore right right and like doc, doc, yeah doctor because uh just again filling in those folks who haven't seen the movie recently or don't remember it Dr. Manhattan, um, he faces the same situation, again, with a comedian um, in a bar in Vietnam, where a pregnant Vietnamese girl is confronting the comedian and saying, hey, listen, this is your child. What are we going to do now? And, you know, she kind of gets in his face when he rejects her, and he winds up shooting her. And at one point, Dr. Manhattan says, you know, you shouldn't have done that. And a comedian says, well, why the hell didn't you stop me? Yep. Um, And... Both of them are kind of awful in that situation because you sort of feel like the comedian has said that with Doc Manhattan there, he doesn't have to think. Someone else is going to stop him. Um, But at least they're like – I find Dr. Manhattan's actions horrific. But at least he, as you said, like he now has a fundamentally different understanding of space and time than anyone else. He has – he has made a conscious understanding that he doesn't value human life in the way we do. Um, that doesn't excuse it. That still is repugnant to me, but it makes sense. It makes sense in a way where, like, to me, Dan, it's just, I feel, Dan just doesn't, doesn't, I think, just wants people to like him. Yeah. He's, and like, Dan doesn't know to me, how to make that happen. Yeah, like, uh, it's funny, in, a, in a, um, a Facebook group that I'm in today, uh, a discussion came up because um, a guy was harassing some of the women in the group, um, and... You know, a couple of their friends were just like, oh, you know, he shouldn't have done that, but whatever, it's not a big deal. And a lot of others, you know, of us came down pretty hard on them. And I feel like that's exactly who Dan is. You know, Dan's the guy whose friend shames the girl. And Dan goes up to the girl later and says, like, oh, that sucks. I'm sorry he did that. You deserve better than that. Right. But he never actually says anything to his friend of being like, dude, that's shitty. Stop. Um, yeah, I almost wonder if Night Owl was intended, at least in the movie, uh, to be sort of a commentary on the, quote, nice guy, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because a lot of his behavior matches that model um, in really upsetting ways. I, I, I mean, if that's true, it's incredibly sort of pernicious because I don't feel like that yeah. conversation was happening. And so I... My sense is that the author and the movie maker see Dan in a much more heroic light, but I just don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Like, me wanting to have faith in humanity says, well, no, they, they were forward-thinking about this. But realistically, I could absolutely see them going, oh, poor Dan. Look at this situation he's in. Look at how he's having to clean up everybody else's messes, um, but can't do anything on his own. Right. Yeah, whatever. Mostly I feel like um, Uncle Ben, Spider-Man's Uncle Ben, would be so pissed at both Dan and Doc Manhattan because, Mm -hmm. you know, talk about having great power and feeling no responsibility whatsoever. And and that scene that you're talking about with the the comedian and Doc Manhattan is particularly poignant to me because I remember when I read the graphic novel that I thought – I left with the impression that the comedian – 
was doing it to test Doc Manhattan to see if he mm. would stop him. And so the comedian was literally willing to to spend a life to see if he could trust Doc Manhattan to do the right thing. It's like, that's terrible. Yeah, I, I had a different read of the comedian's character, and maybe this is just because I've seen the movie. I, I've tried to read the book. Um, honestly, and maybe this should be getting old, the type is too small for me to be able to read um, comfortably. <laughs> that is definitely you getting old. <laughs> um, so, you know, and maybe I just have a bad printing or something. Because um, I just find it very hard to read. But I, I feel like my reading of it was that the comedian isn't making sort of a conscious ethical choice as a test. He's just really pissed that this, you know, woman he used as a sex object would dare, you know, interfere with him. And and certainly that story is one, I mean, the number of pregnant Vietnamese girls who died under suspicious circumstances after being romantically involved with uh, GIs was pretty damn high. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took it as just a comedian just not thinking or caring. But then having this ethical moment afterwards of being like, shit, I fucked up. And then as a like not wanting to take responsibility, looking at Doc Manhattan, thinking like, why didn't you stop me? Um and maybe yeah. even some level of like, if Doc, Doc Manhattan is here, I don't have to think about it, you know? So I, I think he's probably aware of Doc Manhattan and hoping Doc Manhattan stops him is certainly a possibility. I don't think it's a conscious test, though. There's there's two different reads of the comedian's character, I think, gener- like broadly speaking. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's basically impossible to figure out which side he, like he's actually in. Because if, if the comedian's actions are all intentional and with purpose um, rather than reactionary then you get this sort of character that's like the Joker, but pretend, but if the Joker thought that he was a hero, mm. right? Um, and I do find that character idea more fascinating, so I tend to go that way with it, which, again, he's still, like, the worst, but uh, if, if you, you know, sort of fast-forwarding, I guess, to the end, um, when we find out why the comedian died, he was the only one of them willing, well... I guess only one of two of them uh, willing to, in my opinion, do the right thing. Right. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. But there's an interesting idea there that like the comedian and Rorschach are both ones who want to stop Ozymandias, even though those two are presented as, I think with good reason, two of the more morally bankrupt characters in this universe. Um, although I don't think there ways. is a morally rich character among Also the true. Also true. Like maybe Ozymandias' cat thing. I don't know. I mean, well, and this goes back to the other thing, like Silk Spectre sort of, although yeah. it more feels like women don't have any agency in this world. Right. If, don't if get she to had be... more of a character, maybe I would know for sure. But Right. Um, and it's funny because we're slamming on this movie hard. I do love this movie in a lot of ways because it. I feel like there's something very insightful about how morally broken all these characters are. Um, but it's not... There's not many heroes. Um, do you let let's going past just the cowardice part? Do you have anything else to say about Mr. Hooters, or can we put? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just hate I hate him so much. I'm gonna come up with nicknames for him. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's his name now. Uh, he's he's Mr. Hooters. He he does everything owl themed because. Uh, Except yeah. he wouldn't even make good fried chicken. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, he does secretly get off on it, so like yeah. that's that's in the fiction. Yeah. Um, 
God, it's just so pathetic. I um, I, I do like the storyline of him connecting with like the heroes who went before him, and yeah. the idea of like the multi generational hero squad. I think is interesting, and I think is. And I wonder if this is. I feel like this is a very subtle story told in the the movie, and I wonder if the comic book brings it out more, which is like the 1940s when the Minutemen got started were were at least in perception wise a much simpler ethical time, mm-hmm. and the um the the attempted rape by the comedian of Miss Jupiter kind of I think points out that it was not as ethically simple as we think it was. But that certainly it was like in that time it was easier to be a hero because the people believed that everything was nice and morally black and white and right and wrong. And, you know, it was much more the time that Rorschach would have been happy. Right. But that by the time the second wave of Minutemen came along, who I realize in the story are never actually referred to as the Watchmen like in the world. That's just right. the, the title of the book. That part of it's supposed to reflect the fact that like from the 60s to the 80s the world became so much more morally gray and, and that there wasn't really a room for heroes in that same kind of way. Um, does that, does that kind of fit your understanding or am I, is the book have a very different read? No, no, that's about right. So like the one broad thing I think that could be said about the narrative as a whole is that as, as the world gets more complicated and more interconnected, uh, our heroes have a harder time figuring out what the right thing is and then a lot of them fly off the rails about what the right thing is um in different ways and some of them who like the comedian who was around back then um ends up just going off the deep end um but it's like hmm, how do i want to put this it's the story itself sort of presents these characters in an environment that they're not suited to. Yeah. Um, and there's a very real, and this is one of like, this is part of why I like it, but it's something I struggle with. There's just, there's this intentionality to, to the brokenness of the characters that makes mm. me feel like a lot of it is intended to evoke the feelings that it does rather than intended to be treated as, as, um, media that i'm happy to watch if that makes sense yeah like i feel like i'm not supposed to like it like it yeah i mean i think that's very true um you know i think there's definitely a um it's a weird one and i I like that point you make about you know the characters are out of time because that's sort of fitting is that like and maybe part of the way to see it and maybe this is why dan um keeps going back to you know the original mr hooters is that like he's all of them are still stuck in wanting that moral black and whiteness and they don't really get that you know i mean and in some ways this is i i can't i i'm just not sure to what extent the author is very knowledgeable and subtle or just missed things in his own story but the vietnam thing for example like part of the conceit seems to be that we would have won the war in Vietnam if we had overwhelming force in the in the form of Dr. Manhattan. And particularly in the 80s when that was written, that, that strikes me really in a weird way because, you know, the Vietnam War was only 12 years over by the time of 1985 and the last U.S. Mm-hmm. troops left in 73. And there still were quite a lot of conservatives and former generals arguing that if, you know, 
the Americans had really let the, um, you know, the, the military fight with the gloves off and use nukes or use other kind of huge power that we would have won in Vietnam. And right. today, I think there's an understanding of, like, you can't bomb people into loving you. And that the, 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 the Vietnam, I mean, I, I would wish there was an understanding. We're still trying it in Iran and Afghanistan. But, but like, it, it seems to me that, like, the we know, now understand that the depth of hatred for the, the Americans and the South Vietnamese, what was seen as a puppet regime, was so, the hatred of that was so strong throughout Vietnam that no matter what amount of force we used, like, we might have conquered, but we would have never won that war. The people have still kept wanting to fight back. Um something again that is addressed in the new show um but yeah so that that the idea of doc manhattan winning the war in that way always struck me as really off but maybe that is part of the commentary that the movie's trying to make or that the story is trying to make yeah that i don't know because as as you pointed out and as i misremembered the it was made during that sort of late 80s period where a lot of people did believe that narrative Right. Yep. It wasn't a uh, much as much as we like to think that the vast majority of people had the right idea, uh, and it was just the politicians who were advocating dumb stuff, and the military was. It's not. That's not true. Yeah. Right. So there are probably many people involved in the creation of of works of fiction, who, who were thinking in those terms and wanted to go well in this universe. We do have this because we have somebody who gets to unilaterally make the decision rather than um, have to do whatever, you know, Congress or, or the administration will allow. Right. And so because of that, the history changed. Um, not that uh, Doc Manhattan's such a fascinating character because, like, he's literally Superman. Yeah. But... I, I was going to say, let, let's now shift to the character of Dr. Manhattan. Um, yeah. we, we talked about him a little bit in terms of the cowardice stuff, but yeah, where does he fall for you ethically? Um, this sort of weird, you know, person is literally no longer human and now has a, an understanding of time and space that is so fundamentally different than ours that hit that the, the kind of moral concerns of our world just don't connect with him. Yeah. The, the, the problem of Dr. Manhattan is that he is his capacity and his understanding of how the world works is from a very macrocosmic perspective, right? right? Um, he sees the whole universe as a system, right? That needs to function a certain way. And at this, this gets worse the farther the character goes, the farther into the character's story you go. Um, as his understanding continues to expand and evolve, um, and he gets less and less and less human and has fewer connections. Um, and so I want to apply the same rules of and, and codes of ethics to his, his actions as I would to anybody else. But I also kind of have to concede that, that he, he doesn't understand that anymore. He doesn't right. see things that way. And so, like, interestingly, I feel like from his perspective, the decisions he's making are correct and are ethically sound, um, but they're completely baffling and, and repugnant to us uh, because we're evaluating him as humans would do. And I, and I think they are, like, repugnant. I'm not saying that he's ethically uh, or morally good. Right. Um, more that he thinks he is. Uh, and it's interesting to me because, like, 
on a personal level, the thing that we are presented as like the evidence of him being a bad person is the way he treats, um, uh, I think it's Laura Silk Spectre romantically. Yep. And the whole idea that, like, he could be making love to her while also, you know, coexisting and doing eight other things. And I, I think in many ways I those scenes are some of my least favorite in the movie because they're presented in a way where I wind up feeling like she's kind of coming off as, like, shrill and needy. And that you kind of walk away – like, I kind of walk away thinking, like, well – you know the way Dr. Manhattan understands time and humanity. What what were you smoking to make you think that he would ever be a like con you know, a good boyfriend? Um and, and it's not that I'm saying that like so, you know, that shows that women are bad in this situation. I think it's it's just really sexist writing of the way her character is presented, but it 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 strikes me as really weird because if that's the thing we're supposed to look at to say Dr. Manhattan's a terrible person I sort of feel like, well, well, yeah, of course he is. You know, of course he's not going to be able to relate to people on that kind of an intimate level in a way that anyone's going to feel comfortable with because look who he is. I mean, you say that, and yet we have another character in fiction who were – in different uh, fiction who were constantly being presented in, in these situations where uh, he connects with people or wants to connect is with Is this people. the doctor? No. No, this is Superman. <laughs> Oh. Doc Manhattan is like there, there's a parallel to every character in Watchmen. Right. Doc Manhattan's par- parallel is Superman. I, um, I'm not sure if that's true though, because Doc, the Superman still perceives time linearly, and sure. still relate. He doesn't have this like all humans are ants in this larger cage. He still perceives individual people as you know. And we've talked before about that. That sometimes is his flaw is that he. He does think that saving Lois Lane, who he has a personal emotional connection with, is more important than b- battling Doomsday or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not quite sure I buy that that uh, like I think you're right about the omnipotence, but I think that there or the, the there's the the uh, omniscience of right. Doc Manhattan it's, is so fundamentally different. It's it's not the same extreme, right? Um, the the difference is that super like we're given. The problem is that the conceit is that Superman can connect with you or I. Um, I think the character of Doc Manhattan challenges that by showing you, well, if someone was capable of X, Y, Z, they must have the mental capacity to understand these things. And therefore, they shouldn't be, you know, they should also have this knowledge. Because, like, some of the things that Superman does really defies our concepts of time and space. Right. That's true. And so, like, I think that part of that is just because of how the narrative is built. Right. Um, and Dak Manhattan kind of challenges those ideas of can somebody exist with that, with, with the capacity to do those things physically. And Dak Manhattan is, is more of an extreme, right? Because he could just, like, rearrange matter at will or whatever the fuck. I don't know. Like, right. He's clearly just, like, he, he's there as, like, a god character. Um, not, like, god, but, like, a someone whose whose capacity for action is effectively limitless right um and like how does that how 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 does that interact with our world as it turns out doesn't interact very well with our world at all um and the the story was that when they had the connection like doc manhattan was um you know there was interest there 
Um, and so I can absolutely, like, I guess I, I saw that scene slightly differently because I saw it as she got into this relationship um, and they changed, as, as people do over time, but he changed into something so alien compared to what she had originally uh, connected with. Right. And in that particular moment, which is incredibly exploitative, um, all she was looking for was like a connection like you're supposed to have in a relationship like that and he was clearly not interested in investing the entirety of his vast attention right into one individual um it still sucks like i don't like that that her character is basically used to show us that when they're like it's not the only instance right there are many like like the uh, the example with the um the comedian and the Vietnamese woman, right? Right. Like there are many examples throughout the narrative showing us that that uh, Doc Manhattan just doesn't care about the same things that we do, right? Um, but it... you're right that this is the this is the moment in the narrative where we're supposed to go, oh crap, this is not a human being with our concerns and our ideas. Yeah, and I and I think it's powerful. I think it actually speaks to kind of a larger theme which is that all of these heroes on some level are interested in saving humanity mm-hmm. but they don't really care much about individual humans you know and i think that it goes for different for different ones in some ways really troublingly rorschach might be the one who cares most about individual humans um and we'll get to him in a minute but like oh, certainly ozymandias and um doc manhattan and i think to some extent also um, Silk Spectre and Mr. Hooters, like all of them, you know, they see like we want to make the world better for people, but when individual persons are in danger, like they're not that upset about it. Um, you know, I, if I remember, there's like one scene where uh, Hooters and Spectre kind of go out basically like looking for people to beat up because they're both, both emotionally frustrated about what's happening in their lives. And they they prevent a crime happening, and I think it's, like, a, a good thing they do, but, again, it just strikes me as very, like, disproportionate to what people are doing. Um, I recall that maybe maybe this is a graphic novel movie difference that I didn't realize. I recall them saving people from a burning building. You may be I, right. I, I, thought... I recall that, and that is, like, technically actually heroic thing. Get, right. Accepting that their motives are because they, well, okay... Uh, Mr. Hooter's motive is that he gets off on it. Um, right. And he needs it to finish. Uh, definitely don't <laughs> definitely don't publish this for children. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, so that, that goes into some more detail than the movie, which is surprising because <laughs> the movie doesn't seem to really pull its punches. But yeah, I, 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 I think... Yeah, he, yeah that's a real thing. Uh, I think she gets attacked and he rescues her and that's kind of how they reconnect and then they barf. go fave the Burbank building. But yeah. yeah, it's not well done. Um, nope. No, no, no. So, anyway, um, yeah, it it's like the characters have this idea in their head about what it is to be a hero and what heroes are supposed to do. But they're, like, reading from a, uh, like, generalized guide, and it's like, yep, I care about this, I care about this, and missing the point. Yeah. Right? They're, they're looking at people, they're looking at, at, at humanity... And this is what we need to save, and how do we get there? 
and missing that humanity is made of humans. And it's interesting to me because we're explicitly told that Silk Spectre is the literal daughter of Miss Jupiter. And so she grows up in a world where like those ideas are passed down to her. Um, at least in the movie, we don't learn anything about why Hooters becomes Hooters or the comedian becomes who he is. We get Rorschach stories, certainly, and we're going to talk about him in a moment. But um, it's interesting to think about like what what's how does that idea get passed down? Um, let's uh, I think we're going to save Ozzy actually for the last one to talk about. So let's talk about Rorschach for a bit. Um, first of all, just this is my own sort of story making complaint. And I'm wondering if the book makes it clearer. Um, Watchmen seems to exist in a weird gray area between like, they never explicitly say that any of these characters have superpowers other than obviously Dr. Manhattan. And yet they do a number of things that seem super powered. Um, certainly, um, Hooters inspector win fights that they seem to have no business winning and they're, they're move they're It doesn't seem like they're just, you know, well-trained fighters, but they're well above that. Um, but the other thing that is never explained, I feel like, is Rorschach's mask. What, in the book, do you have any understanding of, like, is it just, like, a supernatural, like, the mask is empathic to him and changes? Is it, like, some weird physics thing? There's nothing explicit in the narrative of the graphic novel, um, except that... Um, Rorschach says that 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 is his face. Um, clearly it wasn't when right. he because like he's like was ostensibly human at some point, but once he found it, it's like my personal because like again it, it's not explicitly stated anywhere. My personal thing is that his analog is supposed to be like a like a Spider Man thing where he that's a symbiote. And so it's like his his mask is a symbiotic relationship thing with him, and so there is that kind of empathic connection, right? Um, but obviously, because everybody in Watchmen has to be absurdly broken, um, it it's not really clear if he just thinks that's what it is, right. or if that is what it actually is. And it's not all; it's also not clear, um, because no character ever uh, comments on it. Whether when we see the mask change forms, because obviously you can't do motion in in a graphic novel, you just see that every time you're looking at the mask, it's got a different thing on it. Um, whether or not that's actually what other people see, or whether that's what Rorschach thinks they see. And and this might be a place where, you know, there's a there's a possibility for ambiguity and a unreliable narrator in a book. Mm-hmm. Like, the camera can't be an unreliable narrator. Exactly. The camera just shows you what is happening. Um, so that makes sense. But so, anyway, get, putting that aside, um, and I'm willing to, haha, I finally got it in here, just blame that on bad movie making by Zack Snyder. Um, yes! <laughs> we did it. We did it. And I, I just said, I, the joke is because I think this is his best movie. I think this is him, like, doing things that he's good at. But he does screw some things up. Um, but all right, what, what's your overall take on Rorschach the character? <laughs> well... So, it's a slow burn to get to what his deal is in in both the movie and the graphic novel. Um, he's, you know, going around, like, ostensibly being the, the hard-nosed uh, uh, noir detective kind of character, right? Right. Um, when you learn his origin and 
what he's about. He's slightly less sad, in my opinion, than Mr. Hooters, but only just. Mm-hmm. Um, because his... At least, like, his origin story as a hero, like, is one of the ones that you can actually connect with. Right. Because he grew up in, in an abusive environment and saw um, horrible things. And so, like, the whole, like, create, up to and including the creation of a persona to help deal with things and having to literally put on a face, quote-unquote, to deal with stuff, like, that's very real yeah right um and and something that you can connect with clearly he's not like there's there's a problem with his character as well in that he's he's quote crazy unquote right um and it's that whole uh mental mental unwellness or mental illness being portrayed uh for the sake of of sensationalizing it right or or putting him in a box that is not something I'm super fond of in almost any narrative. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, to me, is there anything you use the word hero? I, to me, Rorschach is someone straight out of a, like a Batman's villains rogue, uh, rogue gallery. Um, yes. Because to me, he's not a hero. He is. But he thinks he is. Right. I mean, he's incredibly racist. He's incredibly sexist. He has, he's incredibly moralistic in deeply problematic ways. And he, you know, looks at people in, you know, you know, his whole idea is that he hates moral grayness and he sees the world in very clear black and white ideas and he's willing to throw under the bus anyone who does not match his ideas of moral and sexual and ethical purity. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's all the markings of a complete and utter villain. But a villain who, like you said, is it? You can you can see the path of how his background led to him being who he is. But it's that, like you said, it's that Batman mental illness, bad things happened to him, and then he went crazy, and now right. he is who he is. Um, right. It's the, and then he went crazy part that's just, like, it It never plays for right. me. And, and yet, the thing that is makes, I think, his character so interesting is he's also the only one who recognizes the problem. And he's, and we'll get to it in a second when we talk about Ozymandias, like... I, as much as I disagree with him on so many things, I feel like he's the, you know, I mean, it's true. He is the only one who's willing to stand up and say no to Ozymandias and say, we're not, it's not okay to let you get away with this. Um, right. Does that seem fitting for him or does that seem weird for you with him? Oh, no, it, it definitely seems fitting for him because his character is the, he, so... If you're viewing this as as an actual Cold War story, he's the anti-establishment character. Right. Right? So, him, like, you could see the narrative being painted as he is against world peace, so he's wrong. But, I disagree. In that particular instance, I think he's got the right idea. Right. And that the world deserves to know and not have the wool pulled over their eyes and be manipulated into... Uh, some kind of false peace because R- you know, yeah, right. I have opinions on Azimandias's plan. <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to that in a second, as right. well as my bad pronunciation of his name. But um, like you could, but, you can see uh, the you could see somebody making a narrative right where they say, well, Rorschach is this repugnant 
clearly not right person because they are willing to abandon world peace just because of some inconvenient truth. Yeah. Well, and so I think the last thing I would say about Rorschach is it's it to me like the more I think about it, it's not that I think that he is right as much as it's like a broken clock is right, you know, twice a, twice a day. Um because I I think Rorschach's approach to everything is that there is no morally ethically grayness. There's no moral grayness. Everything is either very clearly right or very clearly wrong. And it leads him to say that Ozymandias killed people and it doesn't matter what kind of higher goal he had, killing people is wrong, so Ozymandias is wrong and bad. And I don't agree with that level of moral you know, certainty and black and whiteness. But I do think he's correct that overall I am against what Ozymand... It's almost like, which is better, the moral black and whiteness of uh, Rorschach or the moral cowardice of uh, Hooters? And Right, and it's it, it's not an either-or. Right? Yeah, it's, like I want there to be... Moment to moment. I want there to be a middle ground and someone goes through a more complicated ethical decision-making to, I think, then come to the same place with Ozymandias. But it's it's definitely different. But it, it, it makes... Like, I th- I think I am more comfortable with a movie in which Rorschach is a villain. And I don't want to see many movies like this where Rorschach is not a villain. But the fact that Rorschach is not a villain makes it, I think, such a good movie in some ways. Like, because it is so different and because it does throw you and because it does challenge my understandings of what a hero or a villain is supposed to be. Right. I mean, Rorschach is a protagonist in in the story i don't think you can apply the this is a later question in our in our notes here but i don't think you can apply the label of hero or villain to any of these people really uh, well villain for sure right many of them but hero no not but certainly not hero not. no you're right yes. I, I think when faced with a question of you know a great moral question at the end of the movie i think rorschach chooses right Right. But, but and I think it's... the things that make me dislike him are also the things that make him choose right. But I don't think that makes him a hero. But it also means that I don't... Until that moment, I might find it easier to put him below all the other characters, and now I'm not so sure about that. Right. You can't have, you can't have somebody who's, who's a moral absolutist-type character um, who you don't occasionally agree with outside of some like literal bizarro circumstance like literally the character bizarro who is everything is opposite right um there's you're gonna align with somebody's idea of right and wrong sometime but that doesn't mean that your like completely rigid this is right this is wrong system is inviolate it just means that one instance we happen to align right so let's uh let's talk about ozzy um what's what's your take on uh what he what he does here well, he bit the head off of a bat during a concert, and I'm not really okay with that. <laughs> um, but then he went on to become an, uh, a cheesy reality star as a dad, so who knows? Yeah. Ozymandias, so, not Osborne. Ozymandias, <laughs> so yes. Uh, Ozzy, uh, as you say, he's actually the reason I ended up enjoying the Watchmen story as much as I did. Because he's a character that throughout the the story, you know, he's 
held up as this like very fine upstanding person always like out to do the right thing and advance the greatest good and doing you know stuff for charity or whatever um and at the end of it he's got his super villain monitor set up right and watching the world and doing the thing and being like hey i'm an and like he monologues about his evil plan right his quote-unquote evil plan right um and there's a moment uh and i think they kept it in the movie i hope they did because it's like one of the best where they they have that exchange with him right where they're all like you've got to be stopped uh when is this happening and he's like are you kidding me it happened like five seconds ago or five minutes ago (laughs) or whatever it's like too late like that Um, that itself was a really nice twist on the idiotic part of that the 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 comic villain monologue the subversion of that particular trope i appreciated a lot um but then also this idea that um because so, Ozymandias, I think, is a perfect example of our villain with a point thing. Right. Right? I don't agree with his point, but it makes his character more interesting because his objective of world peace is laudable, right? Um, like, ending conflict between humans is laudable. Uh, in the graphic novel, he does this by convincing human beings that they're not alone in the universe. Right. Right. Um, and that is, that for me was the big miss of the movie was changing that only because they thought that a giant squid landing in Central Park wouldn't play. Uh. So, well, let me ask you there, because again, I haven't seen it, but like I said, I've seen the way that incident is played in the TV show, because in the TV show it is, like, they reference back what happened in the, in the book and it, it, it's a giant squid and not just Dr. Manhattan yep. bombs. And the perception there is that it's not a, like, existential, we're not alone in the universe. It's a, there's an existential threat greater than any that humanity could imagine, and so we have right. to come together to fight it. And right. whether it's, it's a it's giant squid or Dr. Manhattan is immaterial. Right. It's basically, uh, it's like Independence Day, that great movie with Will Smith, um, where the, the intent is, here's a threat. Here's something for you to unify against. It doesn't matter what it is, but here's something for you to unify against. I always felt the narrative should be, hey, here's Doc Manhattan. Why aren't we all trying to stop Doc Manhattan? Yeah. But, yeah, that that's neither here nor there, I guess. Um, but, yeah, like, the the central thing is supposed to be here's something to unify around, and then the world just sort of falls in line, I guess. Um, which... That part of it is the part where I really have to suspend my disbelief and really stretch what I believe could well, can really happen. So let's divide um, this into two different questions because I think it, it it's important to, to separate them. Let's the first question let's make do we think Ozymandias is right that this would work? And then the second one I think is if we assume that would work, is it morally justified? Yeah, um, I think I think it's a great way to frame this discussion. So let's just start with, and I, I will say I I think it's interesting, and I and I actually want to look up when did Ender's Game the book come out? Do you know? Um, I think it's later than this. Um, I, and I ask because oh, 1985. So interesting, pro, the same, same time. Same year. Yeah, I'm wondering yeah. if it was kind of so. The reason I I ask is because for anyone who hasn't read Ender's Game, um, 
it it start it it's not a, the point of anything, but it starts with the same general conceit. It's a conceit that Robert Heinlein talked about. I mean, it's not unique in, in the science fiction, but that once humanity encounters an existential outside threat, humanity will utterly unify, and because they realize like their petty problems are not as important in comparison to the larger threat, and. You know, there is historical evidence for this that a lot of like times, um, you know, small plate pieces of a nation become unified to fight some outside threat and people try to manipulate that. Um, but one of the points that Ender's Game, the movie makes that I really like is that the minute people start to think the existential threat is defeated, the whole system will fall apart and everybody will go back to fighting each other again. Um and I guess where I'm going at is that on some fundamental level, I don't think Ozzy is right. I don't think that having this kind of existential threat would bring, you know, look at like, you know, the United States and the Soviet Union against Nazi Germany. Um, they worked together, but they still hated each other and they were constantly sniping at each other and constantly finding ways to see who would have more advantage in the post-war mm-hmm. world. And a lot of that set up you know, led directly to the Cold War, during which the United States and Russia were even more at each other's throat than they'd been before the Nazis emerged. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like Ozzy's central conceit is wrong. Um, but what's your take there? So, I, I kind of would go one step further. I think that the the conceit... So, like, I agree with you, but I actually disagree with the idea that it would ever work even initially. Um, I think that there's probably some alliances that would form and some and some more working like short term working together would happen. Right. But in terms of like actually unifying all of the different world governments and whatnot under one banner, like nope. That is a pie in the sky idea and like just dropping a squid in Central Park ain't gonna do nothing. Yeah. And I and I will say again for the T V show, and again apologies, minor spoilers, but this is all over the trailers. One thing you see in the TV show is that, like, Ozzy is still, like, occasionally dropping, like, squid that are small enough to be harmless, but still in a, like, nope, they're still out there kind of a way, Um, as though this one thing wasn't enough. Um, Yeah, he's he's doing the, he's, like, continuing the plan to make sure that everyone stays in fear of this ever-present threat. Yeah. No, I think that's, and I... I think the one way something like this could work is if it became multi-generational. You know, if you had, if you kept it up long enough that you had numerous generations who grew up not knowing that they were supposed to hate other people on their own planet because the hatred of the people outside the planet was supposed to be so strong, then I could kind of buy it. But I feel like if people who had grown up thinking we're supposed to hate the Soviets or supposed to hate the Americans or hate whoever, you know, go back to that within their own lifetimes, I don't see any way it could work. Yeah. Same. Uh, Like, it just, it seems like such a, I get it and I get that that's what the the narrative is supposed to be. So there's a conceit in it, but I think in real life, a lot of this wouldn't happen. Yeah. Right. So I guess within the realm of the fiction, I can concede that it might work in the short term. Yeah. So let's, having said that, let's now change the focus and say, let's assume that it works. Let's assume that 
there is a very real chance of nuclear war and that doing this thing and sacrificing millions of people completely arbitrarily does prevent the chance of nuclear war for a significant amount of time. Does that make it okay? Yeah. So here's the issue. Like if, if an extinction level event, right, is a certainty. Sure. Now suddenly it's a numbers thing. Right. Right. And if you're looking at it from a very macro perspective of how do we save the most lives, right um you could argue that it's it's a you know kind of a fire a a big extrapolation of a firefighter decision right um and therefore like making the decision that and taking the action that saves the most lives has to be the one that you pick right has to be what you do and that if inaction causes uh causes the other outcome then you have to do something right um this it, it really hinges on that certainty though mm-hmm. um and i don't like for me it doesn't feel as though when it happens that the apocalypse is like seriously nigh yeah um that it is more of a he thinks it'll happen eventually and is trying to get out way ahead of it yeah um, I... even though there's a person who can like literally stop it if he wants to yeah, and that's the other weird thing is because, like, Ozymandias actively removes Dr. Manhattan from being able to, you know, try to get him to go to Mars and sort of run away from the planet. And yep. I think this is something – I think the conceit is supposed to be that Dr. Manhattan has lost his interest in humanity and thus would not stop it the way he might have 20 or 30 years ago. Is that your understanding of how it's going? Yeah. Yeah, basically the the like that that has to exist in order to make Ozymandias' motivations make any sense. Right. Because otherwise he could just say, Hey Doc, can you like make sure this doesn't ever happen? Right. Cool. Like disarm literally every nuclear warhead by clicking your fingers because you can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that's very true. And I think I am it's a hard thing because in an ideal world, I feel like the the problem here is the unilateral decision making and Ozzy just saying, I know what's right, I know what's good, and I get to decide, and no one else gets to tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, and, it's a very fascist line. Right. And I feel like, yeah, you're right, it's exactly the definition of fascism. It's I know best. Um, mm-hmm. It's very Robert Heinlein in that regard. I mean, so many of Robert Heinlein's heroes are exactly this. Um, and... I feel like part of part of the issue is that Ozzy is presented clearly as having such a huge ego and that there's no way to get that out of the equation. You know, that there's no way to say, like, when you have an ego that big, of course you feel like, you know, yours is the only your way is the only way to do things and humanity needs you. And this goes way back to the conversation we had about the character of Jace in the Magic of the Gathering story. But I feel like. I am always going to be scared of the character, especially the white male kind of, you know, put upon character who says, I know best. And if people just listen to what I say and think, even if there's a big, you know, sacrifice to be made, the world would be better. Um, right. And it like that again, it makes it makes us as if Dias's character make more sense. Right. Because he does have that 
uh, ego, and so I 100% believe that he is certain that th- that if he doesn't take this action, uh, the humanity will destroy itself. Yeah. Right? And so that's why he sees himself as the hero of his own story, which makes him a good villain. But yeah. it, But it's it's terrifying to think of somebody who is so convinced uh, and is so certain uh, that they are correct and the actions they're taking are, are justified, that they're willing to sacrifice a bunch of lives that might might be being lost needlessly, yeah, right, in the advance of their objective. And I also think, and again here, I don't know how much of this the author intended, but once you get into a place of seeing yourself as the smartest person in the world and smarter than everyone else, the next logical step is that you think everybody else is stupid. And I feel like part of what that mentality leads to is the idea of no one else could make the right decision and not go to war. You know, it's a kind of like, I need to step in because these people are all idiot children who need me, you know, who, and it, it both denies anyone else the ability to, you know, develop their own agency. But it also, like, as we said, in the real world, yes, we came very close to nuclear war a couple of times. But without the help of an Ozymandias, Ozymandias, the, you know, normal human people, as stupid as we are, figured out a way to back away from the extinction level event. Um, and I feel like that's part of where Ozzy's hubris goes. It just prevents the idea of that even being a possibility. Absolutely. And it's because of that, like, I mean, it's because of that hubris, again, that, that his actions make sense. But it's also because of that hubris that I could just never agree with him. Yeah. Because I am, I am know what his conceit is, and I'm never going to come down on the side of, well, you, you think you're right about everything, so you're right about this. That just for whatever reason, that's not how my brain works. If if somebody says, I know with a hundred percent certainty, my immediate reaction is, no, you don't. So let's now go to the last part of that question, which is, once our characters, I'm not going to say once our heroes, but once our mm-hmm. characters have discovered what Ozymandias has done, um, Manhattan and Hooters say, okay, well, this was terrible and we're going to wag our finger of shame at you, but you're right that if the world finds out, it would be bad, so we're just going to walk away and let you do this. And Rorschach says, no, you know, F that, I'm going to go tell the world. And Dr. Manhattan eventually, you know, blows him up as a person to stop him from doing that. Um, and a confrontation where where Rorschach basically says, like, look, if you're, you know, if you're going to do that, you need to just go ahead and do it. And kind of almost pushes Doc Manhattan to do it. Like, you know, kind of says, like, you know, go ahead, and do it. I dare, you know, not I dare you, but like yells at him to do it. Um, uh, suicide by Dr. Manhattan is maybe the best way to look at it. Um, what's your take on how that plays out and the way those three different characters react? Deeply upsetting. Yeah. Uh, so Mr. Hooter's reaction is incredibly consistent of course all he does is goes is shrugs his shoulder and goes well no one can do anything (laughs) right because that's his whole character he doesn't do anything he is the most impotent uh protagonist you will ever see um uh the doc manhattan's reaction is like he doesn't actually care and we know he doesn't actually care what is the most troubling to me is that rorschach is able to goad Doc Manhattan into taking that action. Mm. Because Doc Manhattan shouldn't, like, 
he's he's reached the point of being like a ostensibly completely emotionless being right at that point doesn't not connected to anything doesn't care about anything like this and yet he, he couldn't be arsed to to stand up and stop the death of somebody who didn't do anything wrong but can be arsed to assassinate somebody who's trying to take an ethical stance right yeah i i hated the way that ended i hated i hated dan for not standing by rorschach because again like rorschach is awful as a person he is i feel like on some level even if you think that there is some moral worth to what ozzy is doing you still have to turn him in you still Mm -hmm. have to it if for nothing else like how fundamentally does it break society for now, you know, society to go on this mass, you know, fear of this thing that doesn't actually exist? Um, right. I, Yeah, I just I, I am a big believer of like the truth sets you free and the idea that not only would Ozzy do this, but then these other characters would say, we're going to conspire with you in this lie. Um and for whatever reason, like, I think it's because all of those characters, with the exception of Rorschach, um, at, like, their core precept is, is based in authoritarianism. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and Rorschach being, again, the anti-establishment character is the only one that speaks up and then gets silenced. Right. Because you don't question the big dad. And he gets silenced in a way, like you said, it is so violent compared to... Yep. When you think about all the ways that um, Dr. Manhattan could basically like imprison someone or silence them or just sort of keep them from doing this thing, instead he quite violently like, you know, explodes his body. Yeah, it feels personal. And it, that doesn't make sense with Dr. Manhattan's character as it's been presented, right? Yeah, I, th- I think that's very true. So either in that moment, Rorschach said something that actually evoked emotional response, which is upsetting in its own right, given that we haven't seen hide nor hair of that from from the good doctor in almost the entirety of the of the media of the story. Um, or he f- like his conviction that this is so certainly the right thing that the world needs was strong enough that he felt like he needed to make a statement right and like in case anybody was watching just very upsetting so in the book does rorschach shout you know like if you're gonna do it do it and then oh shout, yeah okay. yeah oh yeah same same scene again there's there's actually very few differences between right. the movie and the graphic novel i heard shot for shot plays. very similar Did, yes it's it's there's the the bomb versus squid thing that we talked about, and there's like the fact that in the graphic novel the story is told twice rather than once. Right. Um. So through a sub graphic novel, <laughs> the, the Black Freighter. Yeah. In, yeah. In my my impression watching the movie is that Manhattan doesn't want to do this, and the look on his face especially seems resigned and almost a little merciful, and I'm wondering if on some level it's. You know, Rorschach wants to do this, realizes that Manhattan is going to stop him. And then on some level, is it, that Rorschach is kind of saying, like, please don't arrest me. Please don't hold me back and enchain me. Please, if you're not going to let me do this, just kill me. And that to some extent in Rorschach's world that is supposed to be so clear and morally black and white and where 
you know, he he has a grudging respect for, you know, Owlman and Spectre and the rest of them. And, and I wonder if part of this is supposed to be that, like, once he realizes that the others won't support him in turning in Ozymandias, so much of Rorschach's world has just fallen into that, you know, no one is going to support me in doing the right thing. Everyone is morally compromised that he kind of just wants to either be like, look, either I'm going to turn you in or I'm going to die. I don't want to live in a world where I can't turn you in. Um, did you get any of that? Uh, I guess I'm unwilling to ascribe the, I'm unwilling to ascribe mercy to the actions that Dr. Manhattan takes. That's fair. Um, I do think that that is basically what Rorschach is saying at the end is I think he realizes that there's no possible way there that uh, he's going to be permitted to get the truth out there. Um, and he wants to make it very clear that that is not, he doesn't want to live if that can't happen. Right. Right. Um, but the fact that he does it in such a way as to try to goad Dr. Manhattan into taking the action to end his life is just like the conceit that he could get an emotional reaction out of Dr. Manhattan is interesting. And I think personally, I think he did get one, yeah, uh, which makes it more upsetting because it's like no other human could do that. And Doc Manhattan probably eliminated him. Um, if you want to really read into the narrative because he did. Well, I'm not sure about that because I think actually we have two distinct other moments where Dr. Manhattan has an emotional reaction. Um, one is that he is clearly upset at, at, at the idea that he is upsetting uh, Ms., uh, um, Silk Spectre, his girlfriend. But the other is when he seems to think that he's causing people cancer. I mean, he very oh, right, clearly gets very right. frustrated, and but also just actually upset. And he like, you know, basically, you know, fucks off to Mars, quite literally. Um so yeah, so I, I I see what you're saying, but I do I I do think that he is very capable of emotional reaction. He just thinks he should not be. Right. He doesn't see the value, and it's it's the um honestly pretty toxic manual masculine concept. Right. That if you are if you're very very smart, um, you can be like a Vulcan and contain your emotions because they don't serve you. Yeah, I think the Vulcan right? comparison is very apt. Yeah. Um, um, but I think you are correct, and, and I had forgotten about the the him thinking at one point that he's giving people cancer. I think that was actually part of Ozymandias' like attempt to trick him away from yeah from the planet, just to get yeah. him to run away to Mars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten all about that, so thank you for, for mm-hmm. bringing it up. You're right; he does show signs of of caring, um, and so, but that I think lends even more to the idea that in that moment, uh, Rorschach does get to Doc Manhattan. Um, and that's why he ultimately makes the decision. Yeah. So let's let's move on to our last question, which is, and I think we've kind of answered it pretty thoroughly already, but we can kind of just review. Is anyone remotely heroic in this movie or this uh, story? Nope. nope. Done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the you could make a argument for Silk Spectre if um, she had more uh, agency and more and more. Um, I guess lines. I don't know. Just she's yeah. not as much of a part of the narrative as is as I feel like a character should be. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. Is I think 
you become a hero through acting on your moral agency, and she just never does that. Um, it's what's most frustrating with her character. Like, I think there is nothing she does that is not morally good. You know, it's not that she does anything where you're like, oh, right. that was terrible of her. Unlike every other character where we see, like, Mr. Hooters doing, like, right. through inaction, allowing uh, evil to, to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're, like, we, we don't, I don't remember us seeing anything like that with, with Silk Spectre. Yeah, I, I think that's that, that's very true. But yeah, beyond her, like, Rorschach is morally interesting in some ways, but but pretty much an asshole. Um, comedian is terrible. Um, Hooters is just morally, you know, uh, uh, um, a coward. I kind of wish we'd learned more about Mordok, um, the, you know, the person with the weir- sure. weird ears who fights the comedian, but there's nothing there. Um, Ozymandias thinks he's a hero, but I think is deeply misguided and not even like, you know, like Magneto and, um, uh, Killmonger, people like that. I can very seriously be like, you know what? You're very close to being right. To me, um, Ozzy is more like Dr. You know, Mr. Freeze or someone like that, where it's like, okay, from your very screwed up perspective, I see your point, but your point is not really, your perspective is not one that makes any sense to me. Right. Uh, most of the characters in the movie uh, are presented as though they believe themselves to be heroes. Right. But, uh, yeah, I don't think any of them qualify. Yeah. Uh, because the one that gets the closest, in my opinion, is actually Warshak. But he's such a reprehensible human being right. that I can't get behind calling him a hero either. And you certainly can't call the comedian a hero. You can't call... Um, somebody who, again, through inaction, allows evil to pass a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned uh, very rightly earlier, he, there are men, like there are multiple moments. The the one that you talk about with the process is the big one, um, where he could do something and doesn't, yeah. because that that would make his life harder, uh, basically, and he's just unwilling to overcome that inertia, but apparently really wants to think of himself as a hero anyway. Yeah. And, and I think that's – especially with, with Rorschach, to go back, I wonder also how much of this is our changed understanding because not that I ever think this was a good thing, but in the 80s, it was often the thing of like introduce someone as a villain but then give them a sympathetic story and now they're not a villain anymore because you understand them. And now, now at least I think with someone like Rorschach, we can say like the horrible upbringing he has explains why he is the way he is but it doesn't excuse it. And I think right. that distinction was one that people were not making at the time this was made. I'm not sure either way on that one. I uh, not aware enough yeah. uh, at the time this was made to know if that was uh, a common thing in fiction. That's certainly fair. I mean, I know around this time period is when we get shows like Forever Night. Uh, so I can look at that. <laughs> That's certainly oh, true. Man. Such a good show. That that is one I have not seen, but but who knows? Maybe it'll come up. Oh, you'd later. love it. It's about a vampire's cop. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's no, it's great. I really legitimately recommend this bad eighties show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I am I mean you kinda had me at bad eighties show, so we'll just have yeah, to Yeah, bad eighties show where a vampire is a cop. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I'm surprised you haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With uh with that note of uh cultural r- r- wisdom, I think it is time to wrap up. So uh any any last thoughts? So one thing, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to die on, on a mic for a bit here. <coughs> one thing I wanted to make sure I said 
um, because it it's a scene that happens both in the um, graphic novel and in the movie that is very challenging. Uh, there's a point where uh, Miss Jupiter or, or Silk Spectre's mom, uh, I think her character's name is Miss Jupiter, is talking about the attempted rape by uh, by the comedian uh, when being confronted about it. And um, uh, basically, like, I don't want to say waves it off, but it's a... Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. She, when, I'm pretty sure it's in the movie. Where her mother... Um, it's all like, well, it was a different time and or whatever. She, like, makes some excuses and, like... I don't feel particularly qualified to comment about how realistic that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it is the most egregious example of the, you know, uh, how women characters are treated in the story in general. It's the, and it's the thing that makes me not want to like Watchmen as as a story. Um, there's a lot of the, like, I, I end up still liking Watchmen, and I feel like mm-hmm. maybe that's something wrong with me. Um, but, like, that particular scene and the stuff around it is really what makes me feel like there's a problem with this story. I guess I came away from it with a different impression, and maybe I am giving them too much credit. Because... The impression that I had was, like, I think the way you can see it is that clearly the mother is acting as a product of rape culture. And the question then is, do the authors know that? You know, exactly. is is it that the writers think that, of course, you know, it wasn't a big deal and maybe they found each other later, in which case it's horribly screwed up? Or, and this is actually what I was more seeing, and I'm not sure if I'm projecting my own understanding backwards onto the movie itself and onto the story, but my take on it was that the writers are showing this as like, yes, this is a thing that happens, and I I most assuredly know that it is, Um, but that that's not a good thing, and that's actually more a sign of, like, I, I feel like the author is walking this thin line, and probably that the movie, you know, continues that, of acknowledging that there were shitty, terrible things that would have been happening to women superheroes of this time. Um, and I feel like there's some commentary on that. You know, so Specter talks about like how ridiculous it is that her uniform has to be so sexualized. You know, there's basically like latex thigh highs for no reason whatsoever mm-hmm. and things like that. But at the same time, it's like we want to point out that this culture is bad and wrong and that you are wrong for enjoying it. But we're also going to titillate you and make you enjoy it again in order to get you to come see our movie. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I, I can't get behind the, the latter part of it. Yeah. If it's intended as social commentary, there are ways to do that. And, and I'm looking forward to eventually seeing Birds of Prey because there are ways of doing that that aren't uh, exploitative or that don't sensationalize it or, or tantalize you with stuff that is morally repulsive. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've, and... I feel like on some level, and not that I'm going to make you watch the first movie, but if you ever wanted to teach a class on what the male versus the female gaze means, just just watch the scenes with Harley Quinn from Suicide Squad and then Birds of Prey because the difference is mm-hmm. literally night and day. It is so, so stark. 
So anyway, I wanted to uh, make sure that, because we didn't spend a lot of time talking about it, and I feel bad about that, particularly mm -hmm. because it is it is important. It is an important part of the story. It is given multiple story beats and ultimately comes uh, down on something else that's deeply upsetting, uh, which does fit the rest of the... Yeah. So, so like, I guess it fits in, but not in ways that are that are uh, comfortable. Yeah. No, I, I think that's very well put. And I think, um, you know, as always, dear listeners, um, we've been wrestling with some pretty heady questions. And as you can tell, I think we're pretty uncomfortable. Like, I, it's kind of like it's a good uncomfort. Like, I'm, I um, I think I've mentioned before, one of my favorite quotes is that, like, you know, uh, things should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And this feels like a time where that's what's happening is that we're sort of being pressed to to, to step outside our normal ethical worlds and, and, and question things in new ways. This is what I love, and I I want to hear from more of you. What do you guys think? Um, are there people out there who think you know actually some of these Watchmen are total heroes, or who think you know Ozzy was right, or anything you know, or or you agree with us, you disagree with us? Let us know. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Gmail, all at Superhero Ethics. Um, on Facebook, we have both a page and a group. Uh, you have to join the group, but you'll be automatically added uh, unless you're, you know, you're, if you're, your profile picture is a swastika, then no. But anyone else, you're probably coming in. Um, Confederate flag, probably also out. But you you get my point. Um, uh, but find us in any of those. Continue the conversation. Let us know what you think. Um, as mentioned briefly, this podcast is part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network, in which if you enjoy um, the the kind of deep dive into a particular property, um you can find that with so many genre things. We currently have podcasts about the MCU verse, the DC on screen verse, uh, one entirely on the Watchmen TV show, uh, and then ones that I'm personally involved with on the Star Wars universe and the um, Orville universe. So check some of those out, please. Um, if you like what we do, uh, we'd love to have your support on Patreon. It's a great way to help us, you know, keep the lights on and keep doing what we're doing. We'd love for you to write a five star review, tell other people what we're doing, help get the word out. Uh, on behalf of myself, on behalf of Jacob, thank you guys all for being great listeners. Have a good day.